I may have already shared this illustration with you in a sermon right after we moved here. I can't remember, but I'm going to tell you anyway again, because it illustrates one of the, the points that I make in this lesson. A number of years ago, I was in a, well, it was a road that had three lanes. The center lane was a turn lane, and uh, I had turned into the center lane. I needed to cross over to get to a car wash. There were several self-do-it bays, you know, do your own car wash bays, and then there was one at the end that uh, does it all for you. And so as I was sitting in the, the center lane waiting to pull in, another car came up behind me. He wanted his car washed too, and he was sitting there behind me. And as traffic finally let up, I pulled left and <clears throat> started to go around the building like you're supposed to do, around the building and to that uh, full-service stall. Well, instead of going around the building behind me, the guy behind me cut through one of those do-it-yourself stalls in order to get in front of me. And he had to fly to do it. I mean, he was going really fast. And, and as I came around the building, he comes cutting through one of those stalls. Just I had to slam on my brakes, and he's spinning tires and squealing tires and, and throws his car sideways, pulls in right in front of me. Man, I was mad. And, uh, you know, I thought, all of that. And so <clears throat> I saw the guy. I was looking at him. He wouldn't get out of his car. I, I figure he's embarrassed. That, well, he wasn't embarrassed enough to not do it. But he was embarrassed, and he was looking at me in the rearview mirror and watching me get out of the car. And I hope I scared him to death when he saw how big I was. <laughs> but, you know, we, we had that. That ruined my day. You know, it was five minutes because I had to wait for him to get his car washed. But I got so bent out of shape over that. I, I After I got back to the office, you know, the rest of the day, I just kept, ugh, it, it ruined my day. You've used the expression, bent out of shape, right? We sometimes get bent out of shape because of this, that, or the other. Well, in Luke chapter uh, 10, or chapter 13, there is a story of, well, three things that are bent out of shape. One of them is a lady who has been out of shape. There's a religious ruler, a religious leader who has been out of shape in this story. And then there's a law that is bent out of shape. And I'd like to look at all three of those things and see if we can't come away from uh, this lesson and make some application to our own life. Because I think what we see in this story is precisely what happens to people today in ways that we sometimes get bent out of shape. In Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, we read of uh, the fact that Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. And sometimes people would come to Jesus and mob him and, and run up and just want to touch the hem of his garment. And, and they just surround him wherever he went. That's not the picture here. This seems to be a more you know, just a typical Sabbath where people take turns getting up and reading Scripture uh, at the synagogue. And it's Jesus who spots this woman, not the woman running to Jesus. I don't know if she ever had any thought of trying to go to Jesus and find help for her ailment or not. I, I don't know what happened, but, but Jesus saw this woman. She was bent over. For 18 years, 
she has been afflicted by this. And this affliction was brought upon by a spirit of infirmity. It wasn't just sickness. There was some demonic or satanic work involved in this. And Jesus found her and went over to her and healed her so that she could stand upright. I don't know. Can you imagine what it would be like for 18 years to have the hardship that would have been associated with her ailment, not being able to to stand upright? But I think that there's something to be said about the character of this woman. She's been out of shape. But I'll tell you what, her priorities were right. And you say, what can you say about her priorities here? Because, I mean, it was Jesus who approached her. She didn't go seeking Jesus. Jesus saw her and went to her. Oh, there's priorities that are implicit in this text. Because where was Jesus? He was teaching in the synagogue. And this woman was in the synagogue where she should be. Let me ask you, have you ever seen people or known of people who have certain things go wrong in their life? They don't, you know, tragedy befalls them, uh, disappointment with other people happen to them, and what do they do? They they quit. They, They give up on God. Church, who needs church? I don't want to go down there. In fact, I mean, if God loved me, He wouldn't allow this to happen. I, I, I'm through with church. Or those people down there. You know what they said to me last week? Well, one of those folks, one of those 350 people said this, and that kind of hurt my feelings, and I don't think I'm going to go back around there. There are a lot of people that when they get bent out of shape, they give up on God. They go another way. Well, if this is what being a disciple of Jesus means, if you're not going to protect me from these kind of daily things, then I want nothing to, you know, give me more and I'll serve you. Build a hedge around me and I'll serve you. But if you let me get bent out of shape in life and by life's events, then you don't have any reason to count on me. There are people that will bail out on God when things don't go their way. Not this woman. Though Jesus sought her out, she was seeking God as she was where she should be on the Sabbath in the synagogue, studying and trying to learn more about the God who made her. You know, I I think of several instances in Scripture. I think of Zacharias, Zachariah and Elizabeth praying for a child. They're young people. They, they want to have a family. They want to have children like most young people do. And, and they're praying for this, these, this child, to, and it never happens. And it's not until they're much older that the angel of the Lord comes to Zachariah and says, your prayers have been answered. And he doesn't even know what he's talking about. It's been so long. I'm sure they long since quit praying for a child. I don't know very many 70-year-old people that would be praying for a child. But... Uh, so they probably stopped, and he was confused about what prayer is that? What, what prayer have you answered? But here's the thing to note about Zachariah and Elizabeth. Where were they? Where was he? He was serving. He was taking his time about in service to God as a priest of God, as a Levite. And uh, that's where he should have been. He didn't let the disappointment of not having a child in his youth dissuade him from serving God. Well, God didn't even answer my prayer. I'm not going to serve him anymore. He was doing what he should do. David, when his son died, and he prayed earnestly that that son not be taken from him, but his son dies. And what's he do? He gets up and he washes himself and he goes to the house of God to worship. 
You know how many times I've seen that play out over and over among God's people? Great tragedy befalls a family. A great loss befalls a family. And someone they love has been taken from them. And where are they on Sunday? They're where they're supposed to be. They're worshiping their God. Uh, they disappointed? Yes. Are they hurt? Yes. Are they heartbroken? Yes. They don't take that out on God. They stay faithful to Him. Their priorities are right. Here's a woman who no doubt sought for something to be done for her during those 18 years. You don't think she went to a doctor? You don't think she prayed to the Lord for some kind of relief for her ailment? 18 years have passed and nothing has happened, but she's still where she's supposed to be in service to her God. She was bent out of shape physically, but I'll tell you, there are a whole lot of people more bent out of shape spiritually uh, than she was physically. How many people have wrong-headed priorities? And uh, so Jesus shows compassion on her and heals this woman, and she is able to stand upright, and don't you know that changed her life? Can you imagine how happy she was, and if she had family or friends, can you imagine the buzz that was about because of what Jesus had done for her? This woman would not go away soon speaking evil of Jesus because what he, did on, what he had done for her. So you have a woman who was bent out of shape, but Jesus fixes that. Then we come to the next person in the story, and he's bent out of shape too. He's the religious leader. Because what he says, verse, look at verse 14. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he had said to the crowd, there are six days on which men ought to work. Therefore, come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Here's this religious leader. He is a ruler of the synagogue. He sees that Jesus has made a woman who is doubled over able to stand upright. She's been that way for 18 years. Instead of being touched with compassion, all he can say is, with anger, what do you think you're doing? Well, this is a Sabbath. You can't go around doing this on the Sabbath. Listen, there are six other days of the week. If you want to heal somebody, heal them on that day. Leave this day alone. How can you be that hard-hearted? How can you be that calloused? When you see a woman who has been righted, when, when her affliction has been lifted from her, and all he can see is wrong, anger. This man got bent out of shape over something that should never have been him out of shape. You see, Jesus was doing what was right, and we'll get to that in just a minute, but I want you to first notice a couple things about what this man did when he got bent out of shape. Look at what it says, and don't miss this, because this is significant. In, in chapter 13, look at what it says in verse 14. But when the ruler of the synagogue, he answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to Jesus, no, that's not what it says. He said to the crowd, aren't there six days you can do this stuff? Instead of addressing Jesus, who was right there in his presence, he addresses the people. 
Why not address Jesus? If he has a problem with somebody, wouldn't it make sense, doesn't the Bible teach, that if you have a problem with somebody, you go to them and you get it worked out? And listen, if we would follow that, wouldn't most of our problems just be done with right there? I think a lot of folks make a lot of mistakes in life. I make a lot of mistakes in life. You make a lot of mistakes in life. And when I make those, I don't make them deliberately. I'm I'm not trying to be, and I may have weak moments when I don't act the noblest, but if somebody comes to me and says, Steve, I didn't appreciate it when you said this, I can pretty much guarantee you that I'm going to say, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. You're right. Forgive me. And if I come to you and say, listen, the other day when you did this to me, I, I didn't appreciate that. That wasn't right. I'm pretty sure that you're going to say, you're right, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I didn't know it had that kind of effect on you or whatever. I don't think we go around maliciously trying to hurt each other. And I think for the most part, if we will go to a person when we're offended by them, that it can get resolved and be done with right then. But I'll tell you what the typical reaction is often, and it's not the biblical reaction. It's maybe typical. We get on the phone and we tell our friends, you know what they said to me? You know what he did to me? You know what she did? And we, instead of getting it fixed, we just make more people aware of the conflict. And, and that makes things escalate and, and get bigger. And it makes other people have hard feelings toward another person that they don't even have any reason to have hard feelings to them. If I would have kept quiet, they wouldn't have even known. I don't want to make other people feel badly toward other people unnecessarily. So I need to do what the Lord says in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 15. If somebody sins against me, I need to go to that person and seek to make it right. And nine times out of ten, it'll be made right. Here's a man in the presence of Jesus, and he doesn't even address Jesus. He just turns to the people and starts talking about Jesus. And that, that's a wrong move. He's, he's a little bit out of shape here. He's angry about good news. He is answering with indignation because a woman has been healed who has been in a bad way for 18 years uh, of her life. It's sad to see that kind of, well, lack of compassion in other people. Folks, you know, I talked about this last week and won't go there again, but we need to be a people of compassion. Our hearts need to be soft to the events and the tragedies and the ups and downs in other people's lives. It's not only the right thing to do in terms of reaching out to them. It's the right thing to do because it is God-like. God sympathizes with our infirmities. He, he's affected similarly. When I weep, God feels the same. When I rejoice... God feels the same. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, that we're to weep with those who uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Here's a man bent out of shape and uh, all because a lady was healed. I wonder, you know, we don't have a Bible answer to this, but I wonder if he were bent 
for 18 years and can't stand upright. And he was the one healed on the Sabbath. I wonder if he would have felt the same way about it. I don't know. But I have a suspicion he wouldn't be all that fired up and indignant because of this this miracle by Jesus. And then let's look at a third thing that's been out of shape here. We see a woman who's physically been out of shape. We see a religious leader who's spiritually been out of shape. And then we see the law of God that has been out of shape. Did the law of God prohibit doing good on the Sabbath? Oh, I know there are prohibitions about working on the Sabbath, but does that include doing good? I don't believe it does. And Jesus makes that clear. Jesus says to this man, hypocrite, what do you think? Listen to yourself. He says, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought, now get this, so ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it for 18 years, be loose from this bond on the Sabbath. I wouldn't want to have been that man, that religious leader, standing in front of all those people, not even addressing Jesus personally, just talking to the folks and acting as though Jesus isn't there. And then when he gets done, Jesus says, listen to me. You really, you know, on the Sabbath day, you will unloose your donkey and lead it to water because it's thirsty. You don't have any problem with that. But on the Sabbath day, when I loose this woman from the bond of Satan and bring her freedom, all of a sudden you got a problem with it. What Jesus is pointing out is you have more care for your animals than you do for this woman, a child of Abraham. That's shameful. And he should have been ashamed. He had misapplied the law of God to the hurt of man. The Sabbath law was given for the good, the betterment of man. It was not to oppress man. It was given to give him a rest. And Jesus says, your interpretation of the Sabbath is just way off the mark. It doesn't prohibit one from doing good. In fact, you go out and loose your animals on the Sabbath. Nobody gets uptight about that. So why would you get uptight? Because I loose this woman on the Sabbath. He shows that their, uh, their understanding or their application of the Sabbath law was totally misunderstood. And, you know, the Jews have a, a book called the Mishnah. And in this are the uh, rabbinical teachings of, uh, well, the, the various rabbis that they have had. And they're thinking on how the text is to be interpreted. It's rather interesting reading in some sections. You see, God gave the Old Testament law, and then they said, well, now, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you work, you don't work on the seventh. And so they said, no, so let's apply that. How is that to be understood? And so they began to write oral traditions. Uh, in order not to disobey the Sabbath law, if you are a tailor and you put a pin, a needle in your lapel and you walk out the door of your house, you violated the Sabbath because that's the tool of your trade and you shouldn't be walking out of your house with, with a pin. Um, on the Sabbath, 
You're not to light a fire. You're not to put out a fire. That's work. And so, if by chance your house catch on fire on the Sabbath, you're out of luck, buddy. Your house burns. You can't do anything about it. Now, what about the contents of your house? Well, let's see. There's nothing wrong with putting on clothes. Carrying clothes would be work. So if you have time, you can run in your house, put on clothes, run out, take them off, run back in, put more on, and you can get your friends to help you in that activity, but you can't carry them out. That's the kind of straining that takes place in the Mishnah, the the rules, the self-imposed hedge that they put around the law. It's not in the Bible, but it's what they... When the Jews were prohibited from uh, lighting uh, a fire, which was what provided their light, that creates a problem because now we're living in modern times and we have electricity. Are you allowed to flip a light switch on the Sabbath? You know, some say no. Can't turn on a light switch because that is engaging a spark that is going to cause, and that's the same thing as building a, a campfire. And so what they have made, uh, and maybe you've seen them, they, they have Sabbath lights, lamps. There's an electrical feed to it all the time. There's no flipping on a switch. It's just on all the time. But it has a little thing at the top where you turn it, and it removes a little shield so that the light shows, you know, in the daytime or the nighttime, you can have the light. And then when it's night, you can twist the lid back and it covers up the light. And so it doesn't keep you awake when you want to sleep. And that way, nobody's starting flipping a switch on the Sabbath. So you can't flip a switch, but you can turn a knob. You know, that's the kind of nitpicking that the people got involved in and are still involved in. That's not what the Sabbath was all about. They have misunderstood the purpose of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was for the betterment of man. It was to give him a day of rest. And you can look in Matthew chapter 12 and Jesus says, you know, if your ox falls in a ditch on the Sabbath, you're not going to let him just lay there and die. You're going to pull him out. So why do you have trouble with me when I try to help a person who is afflicted by Satan on the Sabbath? There's a, there's a bent out of shape law here. They had taken the Sabbath law and applied a prohibition to things that were lawful to do. One of which was healing a poor lady who had been afflicted for 18 years. That was not a sin. It was not a violation of the law. It was a violation of this man's interpretation of the law. But Jesus shows very readily, your interpretation is mistaken. So let's make sure that as we try to represent Jesus today in his word, let's make sure we don't bend the law of God out of shape to fit our own agendas and our own purposes as well. What physically happens in Matthew or Luke chapter 13 What happened to this lady happens to people all the time still today. And this is the application that I want to make, and then the lesson will be yours. But here's a woman who was bound by Satan, and she was unable to stand upright because of this spirit of infirmity. But how many people today are bound by Satan? 
How many people today are spiritually doubled over and they can't stand upright in the presence of God because of what Satan has done to their life? Don't you know that Jesus is still alive and working today and he can take what Satan has bent out of shape and he can make you stand upright in the presence of God again? He can forgive you of all your sins and you have nothing of which to be ashamed before the presence of God. When He sees you, He sees you justified, pure, free from sin. Wouldn't you like that? If you're one who has been bound by Satan, wouldn't you like to stand upright in the presence of God and to be loosed from the burden and the weight of Satan? Jesus offers you that this morning. If you're here this morning and and Satan has hold of you, he's bound you to where there's no way you can stand upright in God's presence and look him in the eyes and be comfortable because, well, you're humbled because of your sinfulness and nothing has ever been done to remove those sins from your life. Jesus says, I'll do that. In Acts 2 and verse 38, when people learned that Jesus was the Christ, they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Jesus said, or Peter said, well, repent, turn from your sin, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. If you want the forgiveness of sins, if you want to be loose from the bonds of Satan, do exactly what Peter said. Turn from your sins, be baptized, and God will loose you. And you can once again stand upright in the presence of God. If you're here this this morning and you're not, well, you've, you've been baptized, but you've gone back to a life of sin or you haven't been as faithful as you should be and, and you want to you wanna do better and you want the church to know you're going to do better, we'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.